0: Welcome to the book, you should aim this podcast. If you've been around, you're aware that we're reviewing the subject of leadership management and ethics in the workplace. If it's your first time, it's a good day to join us. 6.30 AM every Wednesday, that's the time. If you've not done so, do well to subscribe and leave a feedback at the end of this episode. Today we'll be talking about the subject of building and fostering trust in the workplace, and we'll be exploring the importance of trust in the workplace and the various strategies and approaches for building trust between managers and employees. And today I have Mary claire Ross. She's a speaker, facilitator and leadership mentor. She works with leadership and teams to build trust, thriving team cultures that increase engagement, team credibility, and retain great talent. A two-time author, Marie-Claire has recently been named by APAC, Thinkers 360, Top 50 B2B Taught Leaders and Influencers You Should Work With in 2023. All the way from Australia, let us welcome our guest, Marie-Claire Ross. Thank you for joining us. Thank you,
1: Emma. Thank you for your lovely introduction.
0: I uh, was going through your bio And I saw that you started a company around this subject called Trustology to help leadership teams build trust within their teams and improve performance. How and why did this become a passion for you? Ah, well, that's actually a really good question. So, um, gosh, quite a
1: long time ago now i actually was running a video production house with my husband and did a lot of work with organizations in creating training videos in terms of improving safety hence my first book which was called transform your safety communication but we did this project that was kind of life-changing for me so It was uh, working for an organisation that was in the glass industry and you can imagine the injuries you can get from hurting yourself at work with glass. And I was putting together this very big training program on manual handling for 3,000 workers And there was lots of elements to it, but one of the elements was the video component. And when mm, the camera crew and I went to film the workers on the factory floor, we were shocked that they were not that friendly. (laughs) It sounds kind of weird, but, you know, back then in particular, when you go out to film workers doing their daily work, they were really excited. You know, you could just see and feel the morale lift. Uh, but these workers were quite different. They were, you know, giving management a bit of a hard time. There very much was this us versus them language. And a couple of weeks later, after we left, they actually went on strike. Not that we did anything. And, um, then a couple of months later when the whole program was being launched across Australia and New Zealand, I got word from the executive general manager that some of the workers during the launch parties were actually grabbing the little employee handbooks that were produced for them and they were visibly throwing them in the bin uh, and the, the leaders said to me, oh, why are they doing this? Um, And, you know, almost with a little bit of a hint that it was kind of my fault. And I got a little bit stressed out about it. But at the time I was doing lots of research into supervisors and how they're linchpins between the senior leaders and the factory floor. And I realised and I told them that we hadn't actually got the supervisors on board. We had just gone. I, I had spoken to, I don't know, I can't even tell you how many people I had worked with to put this program together. It must have been about 15, but none of them were the supervisors who really could influence those frontline workers. So it just felt like another thing was being done to them, not for them. So I realised that trust was an issue and I tried explaining that to them and they couldn't quite get it. Like this is back in, I think it was twenty three 13, 20, um, you know, we're in a different world now. People really understand the importance of building trust and emotional intelligence. But back then, um, you know, people just didn't understand. I mean, people even laughed at me when I said I was going to create a company to help leaders build trust.
0: Oh, interesting. It's mm-hmm. amazing how circumstances just throw things in our path and we find ourselves solving a problem just on that. People are now more aware of the importance of trust in the workplace and how it impacts the success of a team or organisation. What do you think are some common mistakes that leaders make when they are trying to build trust and how can they avoid those? Yeah, well, one of them is assuming that they're trusted just
1: because they're a leader. It's it's very much an old school perception Um, which, you know, we've been hanging on to since the industrial age and even before that. So, you know, the thing is when we become leaders, when we're in a position of power, people actually distrust us. It's like a natural thing with humans. We don't trust anyone that has power over us because, you know, instinctively we know that they can actually hurt us, you know, whether that's, you know, kicking us out of our job or, you know, taking resources away from us at work. So leaders can't assume that they'll be trusted. In fact, there's more of a hurdle to build that trust. So they've actually got to work on it and they've got to be intentional. And I just can't think, well, because I'm powerful and because people like me, um, people will trust me. But no, um, trust is like a battery. It's something that, you know, you can fully charge it, have it fully charged. But if you leave that battery alone, that charge will just start to decrease naturally on its own it's the same with trust if you're not intentionally building it and demonstrating it people will start to you know question whether they can rely on you so how do you keep that battery charged and so one of the things that i talk about in my book and the central part of the of the book is a model called the integrated trust building system and it's based on neuroscience and research and the things that our brains need to feel safe because you know spoiler alert psychological safety is really important for all of us because we are actually as human beings worried about being with other people you know when you join a new team you kind of start to question you know am I safe here well you know you do it unconsciously and you ask questions like do these people like me do I belong here do I do people value what I'm doing do I value what I'm doing um is there a career for me is there um, am I safe you know particularly you know do people like my clothes or do they find my hair funny or do they think I'm strange you know we do ask those questions subconsciously and when we um you know so we are always scanning the environment just to make sure that we're getting the right feedback so the three important pillars for a leader to focus on to build trust in their teams is to you know, make sure that they are increasing psychological safety. Uh, the second one is to make sure they're building connections. So just to unpack connection for you just a little bit, like what I've found in my research is that connection is not just about building that sense of belonging, which of course is very important for our well-being. Uh, and the functioning of teams. But what I found in my research is that connection actually much more far-reaching and it's actually to do with, you know, almost like as a leader, you're putting a jigsaw puzzle, all the pieces together for people, you know, helping them understand the vision, all the little pieces that make up that vision or that company. So really connecting how the projects, the priorities, the products, the platforms, the people all come together to work. So we're not going into silos, we're actually working together as a cohesive whole. And so connection is really helping people understand the meaning of their work and how their contribution, it's making a difference to not just the people in the team, but outside that team, internal customers, external customers, you know, really Mm -hmm. connecting that is important. And then the third part is stepping into a meaningful future. So, you know, there's so many studies that show that when people don't feel like when they don't have any career opportunities in their organisation, like the job you have, that's it. You know, nothing else. You can't get promoted. That's all you have to do for the rest of your life doing that job people start to really feel unwell. You know, their well-being suffers. They have mental health issues. They get really disengaged. So, you know, what I've found, particularly in my research, is that people want to know what the future is. You know, where is it heading? What's the success as a team? Is the hard work going to pay off? And, you know, what career opportunities are there? And if there aren't career opportunities, well, what learning opportunities, what career development opportunities, how will this help me another job so these are all questions that team leaders really need to help answer with their people as regularly as possible um and in my in a model i talk about the need for one-on-ones and really good meetings to help with that sounds
0: good Let's talk about scepticism for a bit. You, you mentioned something about employees not trusting their employers. And this issue of scepticism among employees towards their employers is also as a result of the lack of trust. Employees feel that their employers are more concerned about their own interests and profits rather than the welfare of the employees. And so because of these, employees may not fully trust their employers or may feel that they are not fully invested in their well-being or success. And employers on the other hand are now hesitant to invest in their employees or provide them with the resources they need to succeed to develop themselves and move forward in whatever role it is they're currently occupying in the organization. So how do we bridge this gap of mistrust among employees and employers? Yeah, well, you've raised some really good points there.
1: And really, we are going through what could only be described as a revolution with how we work. Mm. So the pandemic has really got us all rethinking and revisiting how we work, where we work, when we work. And what's become apparent is that, you know, we've had time to really think about things and people have realised, well, hey, I don't want to work for a company where I'm overworked, undervalued. We really want that human touch and there are a couple of reasons for that. You know, in the past we used to build team cultures through physical proximity, so being seen. And now it's about feeling seen. We want to have that emotional connection with our leaders. We want to feel like our companies care about us. And companies that aren't doing that, that aren't getting on board this really seismic change in how we work are going to be left behind. And we're seeing that with companies having troubles recruiting staff. You know, there's been a huge shift with people leaving toxic workplaces. Um, In fact, there was a study by Sloan Management Review that they actually found that uh, people are 10.6 times more likely to leave a company because of the toxic culture than um, leaving because of, you know, wanting better compensation. So, you know, we've all realised that well-being is so much so important for us, and that we're working in a place where people value us. So, you know, those companies that are, you know, still treating people like that, they're going to have trouble existing uh, because the world is changing really. And it's actually changing really fast, but sort of slowly, but fast at the same time. <laughs> Very true. Oh, yeah.
0: More workplaces are now beginning to incorporate remote work. So we have hybrid workplaces because what COVID did was to open up walls and break down all of the barriers that in that us before now in the in the world of work. We are now beginning to have more than ever team members who have different backgrounds, experiences, who come from different parts of the world. And so someone who is here in West Africa can aim to work anywhere in the world, Australia, depending on what what kind of work they do. For this reason, it's sort of harder you're not meeting these people you're not interacting with them as much so how do you establish and maintain trust in a remote work environment where face-to-face interaction is limited
1: yeah so this really involves as i kind of touched on before that you know we've moved to emotional proximity so feeling seen. So leaders really need to let people know both verbally and non-verbally that they're valued, that they're seen and they're heard. And so, you know, one of the the things that I talk about in my book are the need for how we run one-on-ones and meetings need to change so that we're always having those touch points so people feel safe, they feel connected and they feel like they've got a future together with the team. It's really about the leader being very intentional about how they do this. So, for example, you know, one-on-ones are a great way to bring people closer to you and, you know, team meetings are a way to bring the team closer to each other but, you know, particularly when you have team members who are new, they're from different cultures, um, you know, it's important to really build that connection and be very intentional about it and work with that person really closely so that they know that they're being supported you know what everyone wants is to have a supportive leader um and then that leader has to make sure that the behaviors in that team are you know not toxic or welcoming to a different person who are you know really taking the time to understand the different work styles and communication preferences of each person in that team. So it's really about the leader working on building all those relationships because, you know, it's a relationship in our work that, you know, gives us so much, um, you know, joy and satisfaction. It's terrible when you're working with a colleague who's terrible to work with. So leaders have to be really clear on managing those behaviours.
0: Do you think it's the responsibility of the leader alone? From the top, the employer is very intentional. Okay, this and this is what I want, or this is the company culture, and this is what I want your team to practice. What role do you think team members should play in building trust?
1: Yeah, so, so team members in the team, um, well, yeah. well, you know, it all stems from the purpose and the values of the organization. So, you know, senior leadership and the board need to ensure that there really are the right procedures and, and you know, behavioural guidelines for people. So people understand the vision, they understand the values and the modes of behaviour, and then team members need
0: to practise that. Okay. In 2020, 2021 actually, I wrote a poem titled Joys of Journaling and a part of the story surrounding that would be that I was observing workplace cultures and discovered toxicity. And I, I like that you already touched on that for a bit and how it spreads in an organization. And I was discussing with top management and they were asking me questions. Uh, what are the solutions? What do I think can be done to deal with toxicity in the workplace? And that one of the solutions I came up with was journaling, because I think it's in human nature to forget. The good things when faced with negative experiences or challenges. And so you go look for a job. And then at one time you're really excited about the job that, oh, yeah, I got a job and um, people are being kind to me. But then after a while you begin to hear things, talk about things, and then you, you begin to see the organization in a negative light. And so you forget all of the good stuff. I want to ask that aside journaling, what other ways have you found? It's okay if it's unpopular. What other ways have you found that works? when it comes to dealing with toxicity in the workplace? Um,
1: What you've mentioned is actually a really good idea. I, I would actually kind of change it slightly or add to it actually that I like doing lists of good things, very similar to what you mean. And so having a list, even doing a list every day of the good things that you like about your job, the good things you like, even about a toxic person, because sometimes it's not so much the toxic person, it's more about how we react to them uh and so you know trying to find the good things in them rather than focusing on the negative you know can help with that you know I I know that's not for everyone and that's um you know something I try and practice but you know it is it is hard but that's uh important but I do like the idea when you mentioned journaling even you know just like I have a file where whenever someone says a nice comment um I put all those comments into a file so if I have a bad day I can read that um I, well here I am saying that but I haven't done it for quite a while now so I'm a little bit behind I must put some more in there because you do have those days um but you know the thing is a lot of these toxic people you know I'm going to go a little bit out on a limb here and, and really toxic leaders shouldn't be in an organization and this is mm-hmm. where senior leadership um, should be doing things to get rid of those people who are making life so bad I mean when you have lots of people suffering and struggling due to one person then you know really is time to let them go um, you know we do have an issue with n- people with you know narcissistic type personalities who are all about them and can make life really hard for people so there really has to be some you know really clear guidelines on you know when people need to be let go of if they're actually getting results through hurting people rather than um, doing the right thing by people
0: how do you undo situations where trust has already been broken what steps do you take to repair or rebuild? Looking at the example you gave earlier, the Mediustat Trustology. So in that kind of case, trust has already been broken. It was really obvious. So what steps do you take to repair or rebuild?
1: Yeah, it it really depends on who the the trust needs to be changed with, uh, improved. So I'll give you an example. Recently, I did some coaching of a couple of leaders uh, for an organization and the trust had been broken between one of the, the leaders and the CEO um and through the coaching i was able to unpack what the issues were and go to the CEO and let him know <laughs> what he needed to do to improve the situation now luckily he was a, a he is an amazing leader and he took that on board and just changed how he treated this leader pretty much instantly, Uh, you know, invited him over to his house for a couple of days. They went yachting and did all these things and he rebuilt the relationship and that's going along really well. But, you know, those fairy tales or success stories don't often happen because the other party is not prepared to. So, you know, sometimes you can't actually rebuild trust. So sometimes I have to help people understand, well, you know, what you know, these are the things, these are the boundaries, this is what I'll put up, you know, the things that they need to be able to do their work effectively. So we might work on putting some rules and some guidelines around that. So it might be saying no to helping someone out when, you know, it's the weekend or something like that. So it really depends on the situation but, you know, what I, I, I tend to work with companies before it gets really bad because once it's really bad, it is really hard to fix without removing people from the workplace, if you understand what I mean. Sometimes, you know, you yeah. can't fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's really costly too.
0: I was actually going to ask that hiring an employee Is that always the solution to solving toxicity? Because that's how some people work. So there is an organisation, for instance, and they have spies. Well, I call them spies, okay, or undercover agents. People who go to report and then they call for a meeting, and it's like, oh, you're fired, and that's it. Um, no, and in fact, it's how
1: you fire them is really important. So you know, just going around and firing people because you've heard a rumor that they're toxic is no isn't great so just to give you an example i i have a a friend and he is brought into companies to turn them around as the ceo and what he has processes that he does so he'll work with a leadership team and he will just start to, you know, over the next two to three months, really understand each of his direct reports in that leadership team. Now, he generally knows that it's quite possible that if he's in a company that's doing really poorly, the culture's bad, that there most possibly are a couple of toxic people in that leadership team. Uh, so what he does is he, he kind of just gives them all the opportunity. to. He, he works with each of them one-on-one. He finds out as much as he can about their department, what they need to do to improve it. He works with them to actually um, have some new goals and strategies. And then he continues to work with them and support them to help them get the capabilities that they need to make that a reality. Now, what he often finds is that in that process of support, people will rail against it and start playing up, getting angry having fights with people, and then that's much easier for him to, you know, remove those people. But he's made it very clear when he will let go of people and he's given them the support and help they need. So when I say, oh, you might want to get rid of toxic people, I should point out that, you know, it's really important to support those people um, first. So, you know, I'm often brought in to coach toxic leaders. Uh, and, you know, if they're open to it, they not always are, But, you know, during that process, they start to realize on their own that the company is not the right fit and they make their own decisions. So, you know, they're given the autonomy and the respect that they also deserve, just like any other human being.
0: That works. Can you share with us one big idea from your book, Trust That Your (laughs) Tribe? Ah, well,
1: One of the things that I think it's really important for people to understand, because this is game changing for leadership, is that Dr. Amy Edmondson, now she coined the term psychological safety, which is when you can take risks, make mistakes and still be accepted by your team. She actually found that if you combine psychological safety and setting high standards together, they collide to create high performance. But what I found in my work is just sort of based on what she said and in my research, I've found that what's really important for leaders is to really balance both psychological safety and accountability. So we often think psychological safety is anything goes, people can do what they like, but it's actually creating an environment where people are safe to speak up about the issues. And as a leader, you can talk to them and have those performance conversations to lift their performance and they're not getting upset. And so when you combine that with accountability, you really get this amazing high performance, which I actually call the achievement zone. So You know, as a leader, if you want to get better performance from your team, you know, one of the tips that I can give you is, you know, learn together. You know, when we embed learning into our day-to-day rather than just tacking it on as a a separate course or something we do every now and then, but just actually helping your people and and teaching them and learning together uh, is really amazing for us. It makes us feel safe. Uh, It makes us feel bonded with each other. So I I hardly recommend uh, if you are a team leader, you know, do some learning together Um, and it's really enjoyable and great for your team.
0: And it builds trust. Learning together. How do you embed a system of trust in your teams? And how do you pass that on from one generation to another?
1: Really about how you as the leader build that emotional connection. So, I believe that it's very much about the routines that you have in meetings and Um, Mm one-on-ones. Some of the things that I unpack in my book help provide some routines to build that trust, which is about, you know, making sure there's safety, there's connection and a meaningful future. It's also about improving visibility. So ensuring that uh, people, you're, you're approachable, that people can see you, uh, that you can see your employees and they, they explain to people what they're working on, that there's visibility of decision-making and accountability and all the things that we need because when we feel like things are hidden from us, we we retreat. So leaders really, you know, visible dashboards are great for teams where everyone can see what everyone's working on. And, you know, accountability, of course, you know, holding That's people it. account, not being shy to have those performance conversations. Uh, these are really the things that leaders need to focus on and they need to be intentional, you know, really spend the time and, you know, have time in your calendar every week to be available for people. Because, you know, a lot of your work is uh, uh, sorting out people issues and helping people feel connected to you and the team.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. So for anyone out there who might want to connect with you, your contact details so that they can reach out, if that's okay. Yeah,
1: you can reach me on LinkedIn at at Marie Claire Ross um, or at my website, which is Marie-ClaireRoss.com.
0: Is there anything you would like to add, maybe advice for young team leaders and um, team members all that anything at all
1: well you know we're, we're in a we're moving into this future now where it's really about humanizing workplaces and this need for really caring about others is going to be very much what's expected so you know, learn what you can. Uh, you know, people are important. You know, even if you do find them a bit annoying from time to time, uh, it is really important to build these skills because we need leaders that can do this because leadership is a gift. I mean, it really is the opportunity to make people's lives better. And you're not just making their work lives better, but also their personal lives. And impacting all their family and friends because they've had a great day at work so you can create that and create this amazing flow on effect which i believe if enough good leaders do it we can create world peace
0: thank you so much for your time marie claire thank you so much it's my pleasure
1: thank you amos i appreciate the time
0: Do well to subscribe and share Thank you so much for listening. Yours truly Amos